0: To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. Special thanks to our title sponsor this season, IGS. Founded in 2013, IGS develops industry 4.0 solutions in the global ag tech and commercial lighting markets. As an industry innovator, they make revolutionary controlled environment growth products. For more information, visit intelligentgrowthsolutions.com.
1: Anyway, I was like, okay, $3,000 to play a song while you walk down the aisle. And they're like, yeah, great. And so I played Daft Punk at their wedding. Um, they paid me $3,000 <laughs> on looping it and the following week bought a shipping container and planted a Williamsburg at the Northbrook farms. That was the start. That was definitely the first money into our company, you know, and we were like, let's try to grow some mushrooms in there.
0: Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast. Weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag-tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast. Welcome back. Episode 9. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of some of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. In case you missed last week's episode, I had a great conversation with Virginia Emery of Beta Hatch. If you haven't listened to it, it's a fascinating look into the world of insect farming. And Virginia and I had such an amazing and fun conversation. This week, I'd also like to call out a special announcement from our friends at Agritecture. Last year, with their partner AutoGrow, they conducted the first-ever global census on controlled environment agriculture and published a 52-page report, free of charge, with over 300 respondents from 54 countries. For the 2020 global CEA census, they aim to reach even more farm operators to gain an increasingly accurate picture of the industry. With COVID-19 heavily impacting agriculture, they'd be interested to know how it has affected your operations. You can fill it out at agritecture.com forward slash census. We'll also be including a link to that in our show notes as well. And they've asked that the questionnaire be completed by August 10th, 2020. What's more, by answering this year's census, you'll have a chance to win multiple prizes, including a free ticket to their virtual conference, Agriculture Exchange. So make sure you check that out. This week, I had the privilege of speaking with Andrew Carter of Smallhold. Another new for the show. It's a different crop this time, and it's a fascinating trip through the world of mushrooms. Remember, if you're enjoying this show or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Let's jump into this conversation with Andrew. So Andrew Carter, co-founder and CEO of Small Hold. Thank you for joining us on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, I thought uh, as a way of breaking the ice, uh, it might be helpful for you to explain what a Park Tree Care Coordinator does
1: whoa okay yeah flashback <laughs> um so man so when when i got out of school I, I went to i went to college for ecological design and environmental sciences okay. which is a long way of explaining it was very science heavy background trying to figure out how to use ecology to solve engineering issues and so i was very much focused on water filtration Honestly, a lot of stuff that's it's very similar to aquaponic technology, but it was never for food production. It was for filtering out uh, wastewater from um, huge residential uh, waste management systems. Very cool stuff. No work doing this back in 2007. And so I moved back home to L.A., um, where I'm from, and got a job as an arborist for a nonprofit called Tree People, and they're like an iconic LA nonprofit. They I don't even know how many millions of trees they planted at this point. But what I did was managed all of the trees that the uh, nonprofit planted in different parks. And so there are all these different parks throughout Los Angeles. I think I don't even know how many trees I managed, but. Would go around check how they're doing, and if there were a bunch of trees that needed work, then I could host big volunteer events where I teach people how to prune or replant or mulch, um, manage manage the trees. Essentially, still one of the best jobs I've ever had in my entire life. Took a lot of naps in parks, woke up really early, drove a big truck around L.A. It was um, it was amazing. But eventually, I moved out to New York uh, and you know, kind of got, got into the urban ag scene, which I'm, I'm very grateful for, but I'm always striving for that. Those, those tree people days, cause that was, that was definitely a good time.
0: Is that the same thing as a tree doctor?
1: Sort of, I mean, okay. I, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would do okay. a lot of tree doctor stuff. And so I can do like root pruning and mm. all sorts of stuff like that. I wouldn't say I'm a pro, you know, arborist, so. There are way better arborists than me, <laughs> and so I, if if you asked me to do some really major tree surgery, I would yeah. probably call on my friends. But uh, when a lot of the trees that we were planting were fairly young, and so a little easier to manage, less ropes, less climbing, yeah. and so very cool, a little safer, yeah.
0: And where's home for you now?
1: In Brooklyn, in New York. Brooklyn, okay. Yeah.
0: So I was I grew up in Yonkers, New York, just outside uh, Manhattan, oh, cool. and I've lived there for most of my life, and then. 2014 i moved to la so i i, I lived in la oh, as well cool. i was there for about four years where uh, so, in la are you now uh no actually now i'm in minneapolis so. oh, okay cool. awesome <laughs> so i was in silver lake for um most of my time there cool. um but yeah uh, just uh, so I, I got to experience two big cities and now experiencing the midwest so it's a bit of a change of pace yeah I'm interested when you said you first started getting into ag tech, like what what was your first foray into um, anything around hydroponics and then ag tech?
1: Yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. So back I moved to New York in 2009. Okay. And I was very much trying to get into the environmental world. When I was working at tree people, I also was a landscaper. And so, Hmm. It it ranged in stuff that I would do. I would plant your sod, carry soil around, but then I could also do, you know, plant selection and, and uh, different analyses of what you can actually plant, a new cat and stuff. And so that I could do all sorts of things. And that was like my job here <laughs> when I was in New York. And, but I really wanted to start doing more of the stuff I went to school for, more of this design work and just being creative around the knowledge I had around ecology and yeah. found a project called the WaterPod. Which was a um, this this artist named Mary Mattingly made this floating barge, uh, sustainable community that she 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 towed around to different areas of Manhattan, and it grew its own food. It had a geodesic dome. We had big parties on it, and they had a living machine, which is what I studied in school. I studied with a guy named Dr. John Todd, and he invented these things and. It was not working very well. They were peeing in this thing and it was, <laughs> it's a, it's an, it's an environment. And so if you, if you don't manage it, especially a small environment, it yeah. can get really out of hand really quickly. And so I was helping them out. I think it was kind of beyond um, help, but like it kind of got me into this world of people doing different ecology projects. And It was pretty early on, like in the scene here in New York, like 2009, we had obviously a bunch of uh, a bunch of community gardens. That's a very, Mm -hmm. that's always been very active here in New York, but venture backed indoor ag was almost non-existent. We had New York Sunworks doing nonprofit work, which was doing installations of hydroponic stuff. And we had uh, New York Sunworks did the science barge, which had a little hydroponic greenhouse. It was also Mm -hmm. a barge. It's all important to kind of understand this because what happened after that was um, a project came out called uh, Window Farms, which came out of Brit O'Reilly's mind, who came from ITP, which is another okay. art program. And it was a DIY hydroponic system uh, made out of water bottles. Mm. And it ended up being like this really big thing. We were like one of the first projects funded on Kickstarter. We had, um, I don't even remember tens of thousands of people on our community uh, helping us design new hydroponic systems out of trash essentially. And I was, I was their, their science guy. I was hired like really early on. I was like employee number three or something to, to help them figure that out. And we did that for a couple of years. It was like, we, we were, I remember there's this thing called food tech connect. I don't know if you get their email or anything.
0: No, I'll sign up.
1: It's, it's a, it's a very active meetup now. I mean, they have thousands of people that go to these meetups all over the world. We helped them host their first or second one. And there were four of us, you know, it was like, there's no one doing this stuff here in New York city. Yeah. After that was starting to happen, I was kind of in the scene as, and I, and honestly, I was probably one of the only people around here that knew how to do hydroponics, even at a base level. And so um, I kind of got sucked into a bunch of stuff. Eventually, I got pulled into uh, Bright Farms, which is a very young company at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was their first head grower. We built a okay. pilot in Long Island. And then we went and wow. built their big facility in Pennsylvania. And after that, I got a lot of commercial hydroponic experience and then kind of consulted on a bunch of their projects. And that's sort of how I ended up getting like deep into the, the urban ag world.
0: Very cool. Did you ever connect with uh, Ben Flanner at Brooklyn Grange?
1: Uh I we know him very well, yeah. <laughs> I was supposed to hang out with him last last week, social distance style, but we're all just kind of running. Are around you right
0: serious? Now. Well tell him Harry Duran says hi. We work together at E trade. Oh this wow, is that's <laughs>
1: yeah. So our so our office is um on Carlton and Flushing near the okay. yards. We yeah. can see the Brooklyn Grange, yeah, like yeah, their yeah. main one, from our office. Like we're we're very close with them. So
0: It's so wild. You got to interview him on this. I mean, their whole (laughs) thing is
1: so insane.
0: Yeah. It's like,
1: it's not, you know, it's not the indoor, uh, control. They, they, they do have some control environments now. They have a house. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, they're 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 really doing it. It's it's amazing. It's so. it's
0: so funny cuz I remember we were working at eTrade at the time and he said I'm going to go I'm leaving fi- like finance and we worked at, we were in the marketing department. He's like I'm going to go start this like rooftop garden in Brooklyn. And we're like, "What are you doing? What?" And he was always like a bit eclectic and so, you know, he's sure. really interesting guy. Um and so it's so fascinating where I might have lost touch with him and then as I was starting to do research for the podcast and just digging in, I was like, "Wow, Ben, and and uh, I, I think I pinged him on, on LinkedIn for a bit, but I, I got to figure out. I gotta, maybe you can afterwards give me his email. So I'll I can, connect to
1: you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know how active he is on LinkedIn. He's definitely a yeah email text kind of guy.
0: Yeah. Very nice to see him. That's so cool, yeah. What's interesting about all those that route that you took, it's almost like each step yeah, in the jobs you were taking and, and, and the businesses you were helped uh, start, I, I feel like every one of those positions – and every one of those opportunities sort of like gave you like the pieces that, that you know, you were starting to put in place for what was uh, to, to become Smallhold.
1: Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I help a lot of like, I'm still learning a lot. I would never, you know, I, I would never say I'm like done learning or anything like that. But I talk to a lot of people trying to get into the space. And I think that there's a lot of ways to do it. I definitely think that like I was definitely in in the right place at the right time. I think that there's other ways of doing that, you know, like New York is right now it's probably also the right place at the right time in a different way. But like there were, I think that there was a lack of expertise on hydroponics and so Mm -hmm. people were willing to take a risk initially and it paid off I think for everyone. Like I figured stuff out and now, now, now I feel very confident in it, but it it definitely all of the experience kind of added together has made it so so we can kind of do this. Sort of the, a lot of the growth happened after Bright Farms. Um, I dealt with some family stuff, but then mm. went out and started consulting on different projects, and that was when a lot of the vertical farming activity really started happening. And had the opportunity to travel around and visit all sorts of facilities, and so. Seeing, seeing all, all all kinds of different kinds of operations and people trying yeah, yeah. to do it in
0: different ways. Can you talk a little bit about the, or tell the story about how you started to get the idea for what what is now Smallhold and, and yeah. where, you know where that came from?
1: Yeah, it came from a few different places. So we grow mushrooms. We yeah. have uh, the main thing. If you look up Smallhold and you look up what we do right now, we have these in store uh, installations that you can see in grocery stores and some restaurants. Yeah. We have way more ambitious plans than that. We're building out larger spaces. We're working on expansion across the country. It's, it's, it's way bigger than just uh, in-store sort of growing. That's just yeah. one piece of the puzzle, which in our opinion is distributed farming. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that kind of throw that word around or that term. Um, there are different ways that you could approach it. What well, we think, and especially with mushrooms and certain crops, Is it makes sense to centralize certain aspects of your growing operation, but then distribute the final stage or different aspects of it. And so Mm -hmm. we can, we can, in New York, we have all these little units all over the place that make a larger footprint of our farm. And so we can actually have a commercial operation and have the same cost benefit that a large operation would have. In Whole Foods Go On Us, they were an isolated operation. That crop would be way too expensive to sell at a competitive Mm -hmm. price. But since it's fed into our network, um, it can make a lot more sense. And so that will change for different regions. Some regions make sense to grow on site. Some don't.
0: Yeah. Some
1: places have, you know, there's, I think it's, it's, it's an issue in the indoor ag space and just food in general is people think that you can have the same solution for every city. I think that you need a mix of solutions because every city is different. They interact with food different. People expect different things from their their, their products. And so it's important to be able to to kind of modify for each city and that's okay. If you're modular, you can scale, but it's, it's, it's not as simple as just put it popping a warehouse up and expecting people to buy it. Um, And so that's, that's what we're mainly developing, but it comes from a lot of different spaces. So I like, I I used to grow leafy greens and herbs. That was my main thing. Um, We were doing all these analyses for people and realized that, there's a great opportunity in mushrooms. Mushrooms have really good margins generally. There are all sorts of varieties that people aren't really paying attention to, the specialty yeah. and exotic varieties. And there's just this, this amazing growth that's happening. And it was kind of happening before, but we were taking a guess back in 2016, 2017, that this was going to be way bigger. People becoming vegetarian, a lot of fad diets, uh, yeah. just people being creative. And it ended up paying off because it's well, it's – the fastest growing produce in the produce aisle, and so we're we're excited to be part of that. The other part of it is just the concept of distributing farm, distributed farming isn't new. Like I have built out tomato farms before, big commercial operations. Most of these people don't plant tomato seeds. Like they they will be working with a nursery and accepting seedlings from somewhere else that grafts the right fruit, like the right top to the right rootstock and sending it to your facility that exists in agriculture. Um, and so we're like, how about we try to learn about that and to understand that and apply different aspects of that to other kinds of crops that they weren't actually growing like that. And so there are different parts of ag that we're looking at to inspire us. Um, and and it all kind of, you know, came to fruition with with Smallhold.
0: How much did you have to educate yourself on mushrooms as as a crop?
1: A lot. I mean, <laughs> <tons>. <laughs> uh, I thought, you know, I thought that it would be it's similar to plants. You know, yeah. that was, and I think a lot of people think it is, but they're very different. The main crossover is that it's, it's a, it's a very large, like climate control problem, like the, mm. the problem you're trying to solve generally with mushrooms are climate control, okay. um, in my opinion. Um, I'm sure some other Russian partners might be listening to this and be like, you're totally wrong, but it's, it's our opinion is that climate control is the big thing. And the rest of it uh, is just so different. I mean, fungi in general, it's its own kingdom. So just functionally, a lot of people think that they're actually more similar to animals than to plants. And the more I grow them, the more I realize that that's, that's very true. Like they respire, they breathe in oxygen, they mm-hmm. release CO2, uh, they digest, they release digestate, so that's how they're getting their energy and mm-hmm. creating their carbohydrates and everything. In in reality, functionally, they're, they're not really at all like plants, but you know, when you're in the produce world, you have to be able to kind of make comparisons because yeah. that's what people are usually used to thinking about.
0: Is it a mycologist, the, someone who's uh, the study yeah. of mushrooms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: mycologist would be that. Um, I always call myself more of like a farmer and now I'm very much a CEO. You know, I know yeah, a lot about yeah. tech and I run product It's not old and stuff with our product team. Um we have a head of product Jordy who's really runs product, but I help him. Um <laughs> but uh we uh, I, I I have always kind of considered myself more of a farmer. Like I love science and I love looking at what we're doing under a microscope. But there are people who have PhDs in this and yeah. I consider them the mycologists. And I just work on creating food for people because that's, that's what I I really believe in.
0: So can you talk about those early days, those those first couple of years, like what were some of the challenges that you were working through (laughs) with the business?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there were so many, so, and there are always, I mean, it's still a young company. Like we incorporated in 2017, so it's not too old man. In 2017, what we had was a shipping container in Williamsburg. Okay. That, how I got this was I I used to play, I grew up playing cello and (laughs) I had these, a couple YouTube videos of me covering different bands on my cello doing looping and stuff. Yeah. And someone asked me if I could play a Daft Punk song at their wedding. And I was friends, this is in
0: 2016.
1: And so, and I have friends that are these DJs and I was like, Hey, what should I charge? I don't even know these people. And I don't really want to do it. And they're like, oh, you don't want to do it? So there's the, uh, I can't probably say it on the air, but there's the F off price. You know, that's the price that you have to charge. And hopefully these people aren't listening to us. Because anyway, I was like, okay, $3,000 to play a song while you walk down the aisle. Sure. And they're like, yeah, great. (laughs) And um, so I played Daft Punk at their wedding. Um, on, a on, a cello. 000, on a cello looping out. Whoa, that's super and cool. the following yeah. week, bought a shipping container oh, and wow. planted a Williamsburg at the Northbrook Farms. That was the start. That was definitely the first money into our company, you know.
0: That's And
1: <laughs> that's what happened. That's And wild. we are like, let's try to grow some mushrooms in there. And it took a while to build that out because I was consulting on the side and just kind of mm-hmm. it was like, I would have money at different times. And it wasn't, it was very much not like a, it wasn't an official startup or anything. It was like kind of a project, but started talking to different people. My co-founder, Adam, who's has from, from college, mm-hmm. uh, he came in and we're like, let's just turn this into a real business. Like the, there's big opportunity. Investors kind of want to talk to us, yeah. um, have the network to do this. And so um, we went through, we got into the TechStars program, which is a uh, yeah. accelerator program. Yeah. That's more money in the company. And then it kind of sent us on our way to like create a, a real, a real business out of it. Um, I know you I think Frey Farms is actually a tech stars company. Yeah, we just um, we just yeah. published
0: uh, the episode with John. So yeah. Cool.
1: yeah. Yeah. And so in those days, the big issue, which honestly it created the start of Smallhold, was that this container was planted at um a in an urban farm at a construction site. And so okay. in Williamsburg, there's this big sugar factory that they're converting to like big offices. Yeah. Uh,
0: I used to live in Greenpoint. Factory. Yeah.
1: Okay. Cool. So, so the Domino Factory <laughs> yeah. um, and all the plant lots around it were bought by Two Trees, which is a big development company. They built okay. Dumbo. They do all these things. Yeah. yeah. And and so now it looks insane. But they, I mean, did you ever see the the farm there? They had. A I don't farm. think
0: I ever saw the farm there. I, I mean, I, I know the factory well because I mean, you would, when you would go over the bridge. I mean, it's it's uh, it's an iconic yeah. building. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so next door to that, I guess it would be south of the big brick building. There yeah. was a lot. And two trees opened it up, uh, did an RFP for people who wanted to use the lot and while they okay. were while they were still doing construction. And some friends of ours wanted to build an urban farm and a BMX bike path. And okay. they were friends of ours, and I was like, we had a couple beers, and I was like, I wanna plant the shipping container there <laughs> and grow some mushrooms. And they're like, sweet, you know, let's do this thing. Cool. And it was very cool, but the power was like, everything was kind of what you'd expect in a temporary lot like power would shut off randomly like we'd have some party and (laughs) something would happen and so we had to create like I had to make a bunch of alerts and alarms for the shipping container and I kind of knew some software and hardware stuff but I was very much into commercial hydroponics and the stuff Mm -hmm. that I wanted was very expensive like you know 20 plus k you know, to even start, you know, and some of yeah. the stuff you're buying are way more money than that to build out a greenhouse. And what I wanted just didn't really exist. And so we had to build these sensors and then started making it smaller and smaller and started talking to different people and realizing that what we were building could be applied to all sorts of different solutions. And so it was like kind of the first version of our sensor and remote wow. control system was, was very much solving our biggest issues, which was like, hot sticky mushrooms when the power would go out or <laughs> yeah. frozen mushrooms if, if it was in the winter.
0: So many uh, aspects of that story, <laughs> which, which like make me smile. The fact that, uh, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I grew up uh, DJing. So the fact that you're playing Daft Punk is <laughs> super <laughs> yeah. cool. But, okay. um, when did you start to think about creating these, um, other units that you'd have and yeah. they're beautiful looking units i Thank mean when you. You, if you go on the on the website you know that you can tell a lot of effort and thought went into the design of them so um talk a little bit about yeah. the transition um as you started you know you're testing out ideas obviously with the container farm but when you were starting to make that move
1: yeah so we had a container farm and we eventually got a, uh, a spot, like an office, um, over in Bushwick at 99 Scott. We're not there anymore, but that was very much like where we started our business um, after the container thing. And yeah. we had some friends there uh, at Bunker Vietnamese, which is a Vietnamese restaurant, which is an amazing mm-hmm. Vietnamese restaurant. If you guys, uh, they're, they're still doing everything through COVID and everything. Oh, cool. So everyone should okay. go on and order from there. Yeah. And Jimmy, the owner, is is amazing and loves urban ag and tries to support it wherever he can. And I was um I swear I don't drink too much beer, but we were also having beer one time <laughs> and had a couple beers and we're like, and he and we were talking about um all the stuff that I kind of wanted to do. And he's like, let's let's do this in the store, let's talk about this, like let's figure this out, how to put it mm. in my restaurant. And We're like, that's a pretty good idea, you know, thinking through all these different ways of doing it and started kind of fielding it with different restaurant owners and then eventually grocery store owners and realized that it is something that they're very much into, which seems counterintuitive in New York with the the lack of space and everything. But nonetheless, like people are very excited about the opportunity to do this. And so we knew that if we were going to be doing it, we would want it to represent like we know is the big the big thing is that they work like they grow a lot of mushrooms. They are very advanced, you know, like we're controlling these things remotely. They have each shelf is independently controlled using specific spectrum of lights. And we can go into the tech if you want, but they were, they work, they're, they're crazy tech that goes into those things, but we wanted, we knew that they were going to be in front of people eventually. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted them to look, look like that. And what all of our team, but especially Adam and I as co-founders are very into kind of, Futurism, especially retrofuturism, and love this idea of you know controlled environments as you know like a window to the future and mm. um, you know window into the fresh produce that you can be eating right there. And so yeah, yeah. Um, all that really impacted how we wanted to design and build these things.
0: Yeah. When you look at them, um, they really, I grew up on, I'm dating myself. I grew up with the Jetsons. So cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so there's this aspect of like, you know, for future forward and thinking like how life would be. And I mean, a lot of the things seem silly now, but there is some aspect of like really not just having, um, access to, to fresh food, but the, the ability to, to have these almost micro climates within your own home, um, uh, and, yeah. and to have, um, you know you can't get any fresher than you know picking the <laughs> the mushrooms in there with, with restaurants and you see you're starting to see some of those I forgot the name of the company that's doing it for leafy greens now also it's like these, yeah. these beautifully designed units that 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 can uh, exist in in homes as well. so totally. um, talk a little bit about the the, the tech because it there's a lot of moving parts and the fact that they're yeah. remotely monitored I think would be really interesting to hear about.
1: Yeah, so if you see one of our units in the field, they, there's different footprints. And so there's a couple custom installations that will be hanging or above a bar or anything. Those are usually one climate, but if there are three or four climates, each of those are independently controlled. Uh, they can cool down to 45 degrees and up to 85 degrees. Mushrooms, there we, grow, we grow 11 different varieties of mushrooms. And so uh, they have different climates that they require. Most are around in the 60s and 70s, but um, some like it a little cooler and some like it hotter. And then there's, I'm sure as you talk to different people talking about different plant stuff, the similar yeah. stuff happens with mushrooms. Like you can alter the climate in different ways to fi- like completely change the shape or um, the nutritional value of some of these mushrooms. So it's very cool stuff that you can do with that control. Additionally, with mushrooms, they respire. And so you have to be managing their CO2 and oxygen really well. Mm. And so they have a bunch of ventilation and filtration to make sure that, you know, they're not having issues with their airflow. And then it has uh, a specific spectrum lighting. And so mushrooms, they don't do photosynthesis. And so with plants, you have a lot of people argue that plants need full spectrum light for different stages of their growth. Most of the vegetation, most of the vegetative growth would happen with kind of that bluish reddish spectrum. And so that's why you see that pinkish purple light. With mushrooms, they're not doing photosynthesis, so they don't transfer light into into energy, but they do look at the light as a response to tell it to fruit. And so what we're doing is creating the perfect environment to fruit, Mm. and the light is part of that, and the blue light in particular stimulates the fruit body formation a little better than full spectrum. Additionally, there's a little bit of UV in there because UV produces vitamin D in the mushrooms it's a very interesting aspect. We don't, we don't totally push that. We're not doctors. And so I'm not going to go sit here telling you guys that you can get all your vitamin D from our mushrooms, but I, yeah. I, I like the aspect of that. Um, and so that's, that's another thing that we're kind of looking into here.
0: And so if when a, uh, a restaurant or a building or anywhere wants that, order one of these, what's the process and yeah. what do they get on, on day one and, and how long do they have to wait for, to, to, to start to see uh, their, their first crop of mushrooms?
1: Yeah. So it's very quick. So how we work is a subscription system and we work with businesses. So we're not really selling the unit outright and we don't really work with homes. That's that's honestly not, not really in our plan here. Yeah. We want to go bigger before we would ever go smaller. Mm-hmm. And so when you get a unit you sign on to a contract with us which is mainly around buying mushrooms to be completely honest we sell mushrooms whether it's through one of our facilities or through one of our mini farms which are installed it gets rolled in it gets plugged in there's a little micro tube that connects to your water supply and then we put blocks in and then it's ready to harvest within wow. a week and then it, we provide a service to harvest or the customer harvest suite. It depends kind of on the relationship, what you want to do, but we're constantly resupplying it with the blocks and that's pretty much it. We're capturing about 60,000 data points per day from wow. each of those units. And so if we want to modify the recipe for each variety that you're getting, let's say, hey, I want to grow lion's mane next week in shelf one, then we can modify that remotely if necessary pretty much automated. Honestly, you click, we, we say, yes, we put this thing in there and it happens. But what's cool about the data is that we, on our end, we can constantly be analyzing and understanding what the best way of growing is and just help people keep up with the times and make sure that they're growing as much as possible out of that real estate that they let us grow in. Cause the big thing is like, we, we work with businesses and businesses yeah. don't want to deal with this stuff. Like they yeah. like the idea and they love the quality. And they love it. Like, they want to deal with it in a sense that it's there and they can sell the stuff. But they don't want to be mushroom farmers, even if they tell you they do. And so we don't want them to be mushroom farmers. We want them to have the best experiences possible. And that's that's how we, we've developed the whole entire project.
0: And what's been the... Um- Experience for folks. If you think about the the restaurants who've had your units there for the longest period of time, what's yeah. what's been some of the feedback, and what have you done, if any, if anything, to reiterate or or change based on that early feedback?
1: Totally. I mean, it, it, there's a few different things. So Bunker, for example, used to have. They were our first customer. They had it in their basement, and they thought our original original concept, which I didn't even talk about, was that people would probably want this back of house, like this is a utility. Yeah. And yeah, people would think it's cool, but hey, it's, it's just we're growing mushrooms. That was totally incorrect. Like people wanna look at this. Um, and so we figured that one out and uh, iterated more to make sure that not only it looked right, but then also like there's aspects of our supply chain and how we manage it to make sure that it looks good for customers. Um, because we can be more efficient if we didn't really care about how it looked obviously, but that's not how we roll. And so we wanted to make sure that um, it's a good experience for the customers as well. Right now, we're, um, you know, we're dealing with a bunch of different stuff, like we're building out larger footprint kind of facilities, because we have customers that started with our units, they like the unit, but they're selling a lot. And so they want to be able to buy more. But maybe that excess produce is more has more uh, fluctuates a little bit more. And so installing a unit might not be the best bet, but we could Sell them from a facility that we have near them. That's the kind of the next phase and stuff that we're working on here. That's a big development, and there's going to definitely gonna be more news about that over the next couple yeah. of months. But uh, it's it includes packaging innovation and innovation around the varieties and all of that kind of stuff. With mushrooms, there's all sorts of different ways of growing, and so like you can grow. We have these blocks, right? The substrate are in these big blocks and. There's different ways that you can fruit off of that block. Mm-hmm. And so some, some customers might want really big king oysters, for example. And you can, yeah. I can we can grow these things out of the units that are like a pound each. And wow. you can make a mushroom for two. And it's amazing. <laughs> um, but then some other people will want really tiny little mushrooms and put them on skewers and then, yeah. um, you know, do whatever with that. And so there's a lot of playing with like uh, innovating in how to make that scalable and how to make that not like a huge issue on our end, because the main goal is still, even if we're working with people who want that kind of customization is still to make this thing affordable and make it make sense for everyone.
0: Do you have, um, when they're in restaurants Are the people who are their customers, are they buying the mushrooms outright or, or is, do you see restaurants being more creative in terms of how they're actually using the the mushrooms in, in their, in their dishes? uh what do you mean so uh, do you have restaurants that are just kind of doing more or they're actually adjusting their menus to to kind of ha- because they have this wide variety of mushrooms and are, are they doing like things that, would, that wouldn't have been possible if they didn't have just that, that close access to that wide variety
1: definitely yeah i mean uh, the uh, i think that it's not only the, the wide variety that we provide but the freshness we, that we provide yeah. a lot of mushrooms like You know, depending on your relationship with your local farmers, you could buy a pink oyster mushroom, but they have horrible shelf life. Even if they're grown in an amazing environment, these things last like six or seven days after harvest, Mm, which is pretty bad. Like it's, I mean, it's great, you know, in a way, but it's, it's, it's compared to a lot of other stuff that you can grow. It's very short. And so by growing on site or growing near a customer, then you have stuff that people have literally never even had access to because it goes bad before they actually get to buy it. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, people make all sorts of stuff. I mean, as I said, people, there was, there was a group that made a mushroom for two. That was probably the funniest thing in the world instead um, of steak for two. And <laughs> you know, people do these like huge clusters of oysters covered in egg yolk. And oh, really? Um, I mean, the, the restaurant stuff is so wild. It's so cool, yeah. and it's and and how we what we really like to do is partner with chefs and like mainly rising chefs and people who are really yeah. innovating in their space. So we originally went with Angela Dimayuga, who was at Mission Chinese, and eventually went to Standard mm. um, and Danny Bowen from, from Mission Chinese and the team at uh, Olmstead and Maison Yaki, uh, Greg Backstrom. What's so cool about these people is that. It's not only that they're really good at, at uh, cooking and being creative, but they, they they really believe in what we're trying to do, and they understand it so well that they can help tell our story and help feed other people our product. And so we we sell like our our main goal is to sell into retailers. Like that's what we really yeah. want to be doing, and that's what we're planning on doing. And we sell to we sell to big retailers already as well. Mm-hmm. But the more people we can have like that that are preparing our food in such interesting ways and helping us tell our story then the more people will get creative with our products in the grocery store um, and get and and share it in different ways and so it's 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 just an, it's, it's it's been a, ma- a very amazing experience definitely working with all these different people and so we plan on doing it in in cities all over the place so
0: I would imagine there's a lot of preconceived notions when people think about mushrooms and uh, I know there's probably a running joke about shiitakes as well (laughs) because it's like the most, one of the most commons. So when it comes to, um, you know, either myths or or preconceived notions or, you know, just re-educating people uh, on mushrooms as a whole, like what are some of the common conversations you have uh, with people?
1: Yeah, I mean... The biggest one is the psychedelic mushroom conversation, which um, is, I mean, it's, it's amazing what's happening in the, in the industry there. Like we don't, yeah obviously we're not at all involved in that, but I honestly think that the attention that that space is getting only will help the rest of the mushroom industry um, yeah. because mushrooms are mysterious and yeah. one might, you know, one in the wild might actually make you really sick. One might change your life. Um, or one might just feed your family and it's very cool. Um, yeah. and so that's, uh, I think that will benefit all of us. I think the biggest thing that we have to educate people on are whether they like mushrooms or not, because <laughs> th- there are people who love mushrooms. Like yeah. there's another thing that I've never experienced before in produce, like growing lettuce, like people like lettuce, but they yeah, don't yeah. wear like the lettuce shirt and go lettuce <laughs> foraging. Um, and like part of the lettuce society It exists, that's, but it's not not massive. So the, the there's people who are obsessed, but then there are a lot of people who just think that they hate mushrooms. Hmm. And what I think that is is just that they had some bad experience at one point, probably a canned button,
0: button mushroom. Button mushrooms. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it was slimy and it was gross yeah. and I don't blame them for hating mushrooms for the rest of their life for yeah. having that and thinking that all mushrooms are like that. Yeah. But fungi is a kingdom. Like it's like saying that you don't like plants when yeah. you had like a strawberry versus a lettuce, you know, yeah. you're just like, it's a good point. And it's, it doesn't, that, that usually is like a big epiphany for people. And if we can get people to eat our stuff, then usually we can change their mind, which is a lot of fun. You know, it's like you get people, um, trying, like, we'll go out and do tabling. So like, we'll go out and do, to demos and stuff in different grocery stores and we went we've gone out and done like really intricate recipes but the best stuff is when you just do a little bit of avocado oil and a little bit of salt and people are like what did you cook this thing in and you're like (laughs) nothing like you're just eating a mushroom and they've never had it before and so you're like it's it's like blowing people's mind every time and that's i think probably the biggest the biggest education we have to make Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of medicinal benefits. We talk about them again, like I'm not a nutritionist by trade. And so like, I try not to like get into that world too much, like as far as how I communicate it, but it's very exciting. You know, the stuff that we're growing helps people manage cholesterol, a lot of fiber, a lot of new, a lot of different fatty acids and different nutrition that people need. And so I think that it definitely has a place in, in the, it has a place now, but I think as, as more people become more health conscious than they ever have been, I think that um, it definitely has a, a stronger place in the in the American diet um, than it has in the past.
0: Yeah, and I think it would just it's just a matter of re educating or educating people, and and even providing recipes for people that to try out with all the different. I mean, you mentioned eleven different varieties. I can't imagine like the combinations of of types of dishes you could make, especially as people think more and more about becoming vegetarian. My partner and I were pescatarian, but you know, it'd be nice to start to move to, to, to become vegetarian and just yeah. thinking about education about what's the difference between all those, I mean just the, the mushroom, the types that you've you listed on the site it just piques my curiosity to think about like what does that look like and, and what does that taste like, what's the texture and like how would you cook that and, and what would you have that with and so I think to the extent that some of that education is available I think it'll open people up to the possibility of of, of giving it a try Definitely Yeah. So, can you talk a bit about the the growth strategy now? As now that um, you mentioned, like you're getting into, you know, whether that's what's happening locally, and then what you're looking to do nationwide.
1: Yeah. So um, I can't get into like specific names and stuff, unfortunately, at this point. Um, A lot of this stuff is is has been developed, and we're just kind of deploying right now, which is it's very exciting, and you'll read a lot more about it over the next few months. Yeah. We are working on a series of, we're still installing these mini farms and we're working on sort of larger footprint facilities um, that grow mushrooms using our technology in different, in different ways with different partners. We're here in New York, we're hiring in New York. That's where we plan on uh, keeping our, our main team, but we're looking at new regions as well within the year. And so it's very interesting time to do this. We were kind of talking about it before COVID I don't know how, how much you want to talk about like COVID response and stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, definitely. How time,
1: timeless you want this podcast to be, but it's it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, as of this recording, you know, we're in late June and, you know, dealing with what is probably the second wave, although people thought <laughs> we yeah. were going to have a break. And I think just because of people's uh, decisions on, on how and when's a social distance, it seems like it hasn't let up. So I'm, I am yeah. curious, you know, how that's impacted what your plans
1: yeah, I mean, so I could I could go through, do you want me to just kind of go through the timeline of small holes? Yeah. yeah, that would be really helpful. Yeah, yeah So in March, so I think in New York, it was like middle of March when the shutdown, the pause happened. Yeah. Um, and so we were paying attention to a lot. We had already been working at home. Like we were kind of, we're, we've been always kind of following South Korea protocol. That was sort of what we internally were like, okay, it seems like they're doing it right. The CDC is not really providing information enough for us to feel comfortable.
0: And so we
1: started sending people home early and we're deemed an essential business. We're an agriculture business. We do production. And so we still had to farm. And so we, we have we have GAP certification. We have all this crazy food safety stuff, anyway. And so we had PPE and all the all the isopropyl you could ever imagine. And so it's, yeah. we were set up to to manage this, but still, like it was it was it was definitely uh, a crazy experience. It still yeah. is. And essentially, like overnight, all of our restaurant customers shut down. Like they're they're still businesses and yeah. they're turning they're actually turning on now, which is exciting in a way. But we don't know, you know, how how long that'll last. So what we did was we're, we're B2B, like we, we sell solely to restaurants and grocery stores and we thought like, Hey, we actually have a bunch of blocks that we're going to grow on site. And we have some mushrooms that we grew out for some other people and they're not buying it this week. And so what are we going to do? And we put on Instagram that we were going to do a pop-up at our, at the meat hook, which is like a a local meat shop in Williamsburg. They're friends of ours. And, um, we sold out of everything within three hours. Wow and it was crazy social distance line <laughs> around the corner. It was just, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, we were like, okay, that was cool. Like, let's do that again. And we did that a couple of weeks. We kept selling out really quickly. I'm um, selling a lot, like lots and lots of mushrooms cool. um, in our big reefer van. And then we set up a uh, delivery system. So if you're in your, New in York right now, you can order from our website and we'll go oh, and deliver your fresh great. mushrooms. And with that, we are selling so many more mushrooms than we used to. And I, and I don't, and I want to, there's a little asterisk on that where we're still confident in the original plan, working with restaurants mm-hmm. and retailers and B and B B. And so like, we're not making a total pivot or anything to D to C. We just look at it as another kind of lever that we can pull in case yeah. there's another, uh, there's a more outbreak or who knows, like something else kind of happens as we go and, and expand. Additionally, at the same time we grow out blocks. And so we were, we, there are certain varieties you can grow at home. And Mm -hmm. so we were like, okay, if you babysit these things, you can totally grow some oyster mushrooms. And we're like, why don't we just try selling these things as well? Because people are at home sitting around wanting to enter. I think they really want to interact with small, but they also want to grow stuff. It's like a, just a thing people want to do. And, um, now, at this point, we've sold our blocks to every state in the country. There are people growing our mushrooms everywhere at this point.
0: And these are the grow kits,
1: the grow kits, yeah, which yeah. is again, it's it's certain varieties work like that. It's not we don't look at that like our core business is shifting to that. But if you think about us trying trying to distribute our farm and being creative around making our footprint, larger and larger and getting in the nooks and crannies of every yeah, city of course. totally yeah. feeds into that. You know, it's, yeah. it's, we don't really want to build a mini farm for a home because it's too expensive. If we can grow on your counter and you're at home missing that thing, that's totally yeah. our mission. And, and we're trying to be, our, our blocks are still extremely competitive compared to anyone else that's trying to sell blocks. And so if you do it right, you know, you're getting really cheap mushrooms if you're buying our box and growing them out. And so in, in the end, like, it's been it's not it's not that it's been easy at all, but uh what we figured out is the customer still exists. They still mm-hmm. really want our mushrooms, if not more than they did before. Um it's just getting to them it just got complicated. Like grocery stores are still selling stuff, but here in New York it's it's kind of weird. Like yeah. there's a lot of delivery everywhere. stuff going on in lines, yeah, yeah it's everywhere there was a little bit of fear for a little bit but then now just we're it's kind of settling out and we're seeing that we're settling out with, with way higher numbers like 5 to 6 times what we thought we were going to be wow. at like before covid so we're, we're in a good position you know yeah. and and we think that this can exist in all sorts of other other places and we're getting that kind of response from these big big partners and so we're going for it you know, I don't. I don't think that that COVID is really going to stop us at this point.
0: Well, it's so exciting, and being an entrepreneur myself, um, it's what's been interesting to see is how businesses have responded. And you know, to your point, some of them could not pivot accordingly and we'll be going out of business. Some, you know, were able to like double or 10X their business because they somehow were able to build something that was relevant. And some people were able to change for the short term, you know, maybe, you know, making the hand sanitizer if you were like a vodka factory or something. There's some (laughs) examples of that happening. But I think uh, speaking to your idea of being resilient, you know, sometimes, you know, you were able to make the lemonade out out of the lemons and in a way educate people now to a, a broader population of people now know who smallhold is or educating themselves uh, and, and, you know, have this confidence now that they can start at a small scale and, and have, you know, using the grow kit to grow something at home. I'll, I'll definitely be ordering one. I think it's cool. fascinating. I love how you named it blue oyster grow kit. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So hopefully people get that musical reference. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been really exciting. So I commend you on, you know, taking the lay of the land and, and seeing, and, and having a, a, a team that could be resilient enough to sort of change gears and, you know, what you did with the pop-up is, is really, really good. So I think that bodes well. And, and I, I think those types of skills for being able to to think about different ways on, on how to keep your business afloat is, is something that, you know, is gonna be very, very helpful for you as, as the company grows. Thank you. Yeah. A couple of questions as, as we wrap up, um, what's something you've changed your mind about recently?
1: Whoa! Something I've changed my mind about. Man, I'm trying to think. That's a this is a tough one. <laughs> I change my mind all the time, so that's where I'm. Lying. Yeah, as,
0: as as we as as we do, we all do. Yeah, there's no wrong answer either. So,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one one big thing that we're always grappling with, if I think solely about smallhold about you know the answer here, is whether we want to be targeting the story around fresh produce or Mm -hmm. the, the future of mushrooms in general Mm. there, you know, I think there's opportunities in both. And I think that either way, you know, you're kind of playing in both, but it really depends on kind of what story you want to tell. You know, when you're talking to produce buyers, you know, we focus on fresh produce and I've definitely been in that mindset for quite some time, but now we're seeing issues in the meat industry. You're seeing, crazy stuff happening with the environment, a lot of pollution. There's a lot yeah. of weird, uh, the world's changing some stuff. I'm excited about the change and some stuff I'm, I'm terrified about. Yeah. And I, I think that as time goes on um, as a company that's trying to do this, I think that, you know, we're our, our what, what I'm changing is kind of how I think that we need to approach our story and, and try to go a little bit bigger than just, you know, Selling mushrooms essentially. yeah
0: so. yeah that's a great answer <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> oh, yeah. so, so where's the the best place for folks to connect with you if they want to learn more about smallhold or en- engage with you and the team
1: yeah so um, our website smallhold.com our most active social media is on Instagram at, at smallhold and you can message us or comment or you know follow us and we post we post a lot of stuff there. And if you wanted to talk to me directly, probably the best place is LinkedIn. If you look up okay. look up smallhold, I don't mind people adding me and asking
0: questions. Perfect.
1: But those are those are the best ways to talk to us.
0: Well, Andrew, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, finding time for this conversation. I was really excited to just learn more, educate myself, and educate our listeners uh, on the topic because we always. I was coming at these conversations from a place of just natural curiosity. And I think it's been very helpful to learn about what you're doing with Small Hole and, and what you're doing for the whole vertical farming uh, ecosystem as, as well. And I, I think it's piqued my interest more. <laughs> so cool. I'm going to be doing a little bit more homework and um, and probably ordering a couple of things um, later this week. But I appreciate uh, the work that you're doing and and you know just wish you and Small Hold, um a lot of success. I think you've uh, really carved out a really interesting niche and it's going to be really fun to see where you guys take the company
1: yeah thank you hopefully to hopefully to Minneapolis <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah keep,
0: keep me up for it on that <laughs> cool thanks again yeah of course thanks for listening to read the full show notes for this episode which includes any links mentioned in the episode as well as a full show transcription visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com there you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published